Welcome to another episode of the Life Group Leader Podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan, and at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Pastor Evan, it's good to be back, man. It's good to be back. And it's you're about to leave. <laughs> and I'm about to leave. <laughs> yeah. See ya, Compass. Two week life group leaders. And I'll be back. I mean, I'm yeah. not leaving. Like, no, no, just two weeks. Gone for two weeks. Uh, life group leaders, we're going to miss him, but we are glad he's going on vacation. And I'm glad to be back from vacation. And man, what a sermon to jump into after vacation. There you go. Summer on the Mount, talking about lust. What text are we reading? Matthew five twenty-seven to 30, which reads, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that you that than that your whole body go into hell. Well, Pastor Hayden, tough text, very uh, graphic, yeah, and violent text. Yeah, very sensual. What is the uh, purpose of this text? Um, it is to help us understand that our struggle with lust will often require spirit-empowered employment of extreme measures that are well worth the sacrifice and energy you expend to kill your sin. The beauty of this text is we get to look at it uh, in light of the grace of God in Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. This uh, text will give us a severity of the reality of lust and adultery, but also the grace of God in Christ that empowers us with the energy and the ability and the propensity to kill our sin. And so we put these in three points. One, we need to increase our sensitivity towards the prevalence of adultery. I think this is just something, uh, in short, life group leaders, as I'm talking about it in length in the sermon, but just simply this, that you got to realize it's it's more pervasive than we think. You are more inclined to it than you believe, and it is closer to your life than you think. Uh, and the secondly, we need to trust in Christ as your only solution for purity. This is just the simple aspect of the sermon that calls people to follow Christ. Outside of Christ, we can only give subpar external allegiance to uh legalistic behavior or moralism, and moralism doesn't save us. Uh, although, you know, there's always that as a life group leader to think about these deeper kind of discussions. Like, there is something to say about sinning less, even if you're a non-Christian, but we got to recognize that sinning less is never going to is never gonna fix the problem, uh, and sinning less, you still, you're still in the, under the wrath of God. So we're not going to say sinning less is not a, is, is a bad thing. It's a really great thing, and I believe that uh, even non-Christians who struggle with lust and adultery could commit those less, but they're never going to be justified before God or empowered by the Holy Spirit to live in a life that can kill these kind of proclivities in any uh, long-term way. Would you agree with that? I would. Okay, good. And number three, we need to employ extreme measures to deal with lust. I, I think that was articulated. At the nine, I gave a lot more... Uh, 
examples of how to do that. The 11, I didn't as much. However, we can get into some of that as well in these questions. But those are the three teaching points, life group leaders, just to get, uh, re- joggle your memory, refresh you exactly what we talked about. But Pastor Evan, we have some questions. What are we... Uh, what would what, what we like to talk about with our life group leaders? Well, I'd love to help equip us as we you know, discuss this, especially, um, you know, you mentioned to the Wednesday groups and in our group, you know, we might break up into men and women. Yeah, I actually want to encourage all of our life groups this week to split your life groups into men and women just for the week. And why would it be helpful? It's going to be helpful. Well, I mean, I think most of our life group leaders are very keen in their understanding of this is a great conversation to have with men and women. You're not going to get you're going to get a lot out of this lime if you uh, keep your guys and gals together. But I think that you're going to be able to produce so much fruit uh, if you if you split them apart. You'll get into some topics that uh, men and women deal with these things differently in, in, in a number of ways. And I think you're going to be able to get to a great place in discipleship if you will split your groups up. So uh, we want to we're going to help our on campus groups make sure we do that in a way that works. We're going to give you guys rooms and stuff you can do that with. But if you're at home, it's very easy. Just go to another room in your house. Yes, and even to you know build that up. Even I can think of Titus two when you were talking about this in particular, having women partner with women, men partner with men. Absolutely, with the older men and not just you know age wise, but especially spiritually spiritually wise. Should come alongside other men to hold men accountable and w- older women to help other women. And especially with this topic, we don't, you know, I don't need sisters in Christ necessarily to keep me accountable. They can keep me accountable in certain ways. Right. But you hold me to a different, and right. you and other men in my life hold me in accountability in a much deeper and more intimate way that it would be inappropriate for Absolutely. women to. Now they can still hold me accountable if they see something. Right. But in the life group setting, uh, the deepness of community setting. It'd be good for men and men and women and women. Absolutely. All right. Well, without belaboring the point, going back to point number one, to increase our sensitivity toward the prevalence of adultery. Um, I was thinking about last week's sermon a little bit, even a little bit of today's about how we try to justify or even recategorize our personal sexual sin. How do, how do we do that as people? Maybe us people yeah. as, as Compass Bible Church Hill Country. Uh, well, I mean, let me answer this generally first. Uh, well, one is if I have sex outside of marriage, if I'm not married, is it adultery? The answer is yes, just not in the classical sense of our definition of adultery. Uh, but according to Christ, if you're committing adultery by thinking about a woman lustfully, even if you're not married, are you also committing adultery if you actually have sex with someone that you're not married to, even if you're not married? Yes. So that's one we like to do. I'm not committing adultery if we're, neither one of us are married. Or uh, another one that general public, even professing Christians, is, well, we're going to get married anyway. Uh, that's a big one. Uh, but doesn't mean that you are not committing adultery, because you are. Uh, let's see. Other ones, well, if, you know, if, if it's in my mind, if it's, you know, and this is one I didn't touch on as much as I, I wanted to. I did say if, if it's in your mind— and you're entertaining in your mind, it's still adultery, according to Christ. Two ways I want to explain this, though. One, you know, if you're driving by and you see a billboard of an illicit picture, that passing that billboard is not sin, and even if their eyes gazed at the image was not sin, it's how you entertain that with intent in your heart and in your mind. So that's one part. Second part, and we're going to touch on it a lot more next week, but maybe you could get this in your group. 
you know, I have been around you know relationships where one person maybe has a pornography addiction or uh, or maybe flirted with another person the opposite sex, and the other person uses this text for grounds for divorce. Of well, they committed adultery even if they didn't commit the physical act. It's still adultery. Jesus said it's adultery, and I can divorce because of adultery. And we're going to say no, because if you get into the text next week, you're going to recognize that Jesus, according to uh, pa- uh, Matthew five and Matthew nineteen, is not is, is never endorsing this idea that we should get married and or sorry get divorced. Nor should we ever think that. Even if actual adultery happens, does that necessarily mean that we're going to get divorced? God wants to redeem and protect marriage and reconcile marriage, just like he wants to reconcile our relationships. But those are some things that people do uh, when it comes to justifying or categorizing personal sexual sin or even condemning people to an extent that would fall outside the line of the context of this passage. And if someone brings brings this up or even asks the question in group, I think a good response talking about the, you know, hyperbolic language Jesus is using to make a point here is last week's text. In the state of Texas, if you commit murder, you get the death penalty. And so socially. And so Absolutely. if you committed anger in your heart, we're all guilty of murder, so therefore we all need to be executed by the state of Texas, <laughs> according to your logic. Right. No, that's a good point. So it's making sure we're landing on the point Jesus is trying to make to say, no, you, you are guilty in need of a Savior. And and I will leave the maybe the divorce aspect of it to next week. And even let your life group know, hey, Pastor Hayden's going to be talking about this next week. Let's focus on our struggle or helping one another with sexual sin. Good. Um, and kind of making sure that we help our life groups with this, how does seeing sexual sin from God's perspective, a.k.a. reality, help us grow in our sensitivity toward sexual sin? I think this has to do with distinctive number four, which is we have a high view of God. And if we're going to seek to maintain a high view of God, we got to look at things the way that God looks at things, which I think this is a good question. Uh, because when if we don't, we end up looking at like I said in my sermon, we look at things in the way it impacts us only. The problem with looking at how things impact us is we care about it differently, or, or like even like you know we talked about at the eleven and the nine, uh, just talking about this idea that we care more about how sin impacts our quality of life than we do of actual the problem with sin is that it is uh, it is abhorrent to God and it is uh, the separating factor of humanity with God. I mean that's the real problem. Now a uh, subsidiary effect of that or a uh, effect of of this sin is that it also impacts relationships and people. But when we make it about people first and foremost, we often can miss the actual main uh, prominent uh, pivotal factor of what sin is. Uh, and it's a blatant offense against the holy God of the universe. If we can take it there first... It's going to help us see that my sin is not based upon uh, how my decision or thoughts impacted a person. It's based on how does God view my thought about this? What does God's word say about this topic, this sin, this relationship? And I begin uh, growing in my sensitivity towards everything. Even the righteous things. It's not just the sinful things. It's everything. When I look at it from what does God's word say about this? 
and it's going to help me grow in my faith, and particularly here towards my sensitivity towards sexual sin as well. I mean, I, and I've been doing it. Even my life as I've been studying this passage, I'm like, everything. I mean, ev- like, because there's so much pervasive sexual sin in our world, and it's like, you if you just start going down that that thought process of what could be, what is considered sexual sin, what are some things you can do to prevent that or to, to battle? I mean, there's so many things. I mean, you could spend a lot of time. People write whole books on it that we'll get to in a minute because it's not only a pervasive thing, but it's also something that God asks us to think seriously about intelligently, uh, applicationally, and thoroughly. And something I think to emphasize is something you mentioned. This is not just a... Uh, gender issue. This is not a age demographic issue. This is a human issue uh, all the way back since the first humans. And even thinking about through different eras of history, sexual sin was always a big deal. Uh, about temple prostitutes, the ones that we're going to deal with in the, the New Testament and, and, and throughout. So this is thankfully nothing new under the sun. No, absolutely not. But, and you think about every, which, you know, and as life completed, I mean, let's just be you know, let's we talk about, I mean, this is a mature content kind of sermon, but apart from, uh, what, apart from rape, okay, every sexual act is between a male and a woman, at least biblical sexual, sexuality, even when it's taking outside of marriage, if we think about, well, then I guess, honestly, you could talk about homosexuality in this too, which would also be a perversion of sexuality, but let's just talk about any sexual act between a male and a female always includes a female. So it's like, it's, you know, we can't say, well, this is just a male's problem. Well, it's not. It's a male-female problem because male and female are what it takes to create sexual activity, even the way God has designed it. Which brings me to that other thing that we didn't even address in the sermon that I just, you don't have time to talk about every single thing. What we're not discounting is a genuine uh, sexual attraction between a man and a woman. Uh, You're going to have that. The problem is, is when you take a sexual attraction of the opposite sex and entertain ideas and entertain uh, actions and uh, roles that are improper for that relationship outside of marriage, even if they never uh, manifest externally. So, yeah, I mean, by all means, you should be sexually attracted to the opposite sex, but it should never still, in God's sight, elicit any kind of uh, sexual uh, endeavors, even in your brain, that you are playing through and working through in your mind with with a sexual intent. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. But there's always hope in this, and thankfully, this is nothing new under the sun. So there's hope that point number two: trust in Christ as your only solution for your purity. Mm-hmm. Now, this first question. Um, I want to, I'll just ask it. How do I focus my, on my heart change while I combat the external actions? We're talking about before Christ or after Christ? After Christ. So the implication is that someone's a Christian. And so for someone who's not a Christian, they have to go step one, become a Christian. All right. We, the gospel is the solution. Well, it's always the solution, even for the Christian, as I'm, you know, fighting against not right. looking at pornography on my laptop or not looking at the billboard or flirting with the other well, person. Ask, How like, do I make sure? Okay, it's a, I'm focusing on the heart, knowing yeah. that the heart will affect the actions externally. Well, you have, you have to, when you focus on Christ, and this is a reason why, distinct number four, having a high view of God, it's like, what are you doing things for? Are you doing them for the Lord? 
Because if you're doing from the Lord, you're going to focus on Christ. And when you focus on Christ, my motivation is the love produced by the Holy Spirit in my life to live for Christ. And this is why so many uh, teen sex uh, ed uh, courses, even in churches, when they do sex ed in churches and talk about purity and chastity and all those things, fall short because we, we oh, so many times throughout, I mean, especially in the 90s, early 2000s, I mean, these kind, this kind of content and this kind of uh, programming, it didn't deal with the heart. It dealt with external realities, scaring people into it, saying, you know, talking about, you know, waiting until marriage for all these other reasons outside of the fact that this is sin against, this is sin against God, and the wrath of God remains on those who are unrepentant. And Christ has come to change the heart, and it would change your affections and your desires. And so as I focus on Christ, it's going to also combat external actions. I, I just think that the, in my own life, the, the more that my life uh, becomes pure in my actions, it stems from my desire to, to love the Lord and to walk with Him. It almost never works in the opposite way. Like, my desire to stop doing things is n- never— it, it never produces the outcome that I want apart from focusing on Christ who produces that change in my life. Is there still me working and walking? Absolutely. But my focus, my focus before would just be on, I need to do these things because it's better and I don't want to feel miserable versus I want to serve and love my Lord and I want to have affections for him and I want him to empower me to live for him. And that's when I found the most freedom in my own sin from these things. Which kind of leads to, okay, we have maybe someone in our group who is struggling mightily with sexual sin. Yep. You know, why? How can we really tell them the truth that they can hope in Christ, that if they hope in Christ, they can conquer this sexual sin? And again, these are Christians. These are you know Christians. Yep. Uh, it's, as far as question number two right here that I see. Uh, number three. Down number here. three. Why should I have hope in Christ to conquer the personal sexual sin in my life? It's something that I've talked about in the 11 that I do remember. It's like you have the omnipotent third person of the triune Godhead in your life. Uh, it's James, right? This is greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Right? He who is in the world is Satan and the principalities of darkness. And, and even your flesh, right? I mean, even partnering with your flesh. Who's greater? Your flesh empowered by darkness and Satan or your new heart empowered by the Holy Spirit? Like that, and that's why we harp so hard on this. Like you, you can't do this on your own, but you can, in fact, do this empowered by the Holy Spirit. You don't have to live this. There's a, this nice big word for defeated that I just can't think about that I think really defines this better. But like so many people live in the futility of uh, this idea that they cannot conquer sin and it's just it's just that's just the life we live, you know. And it's like. But that's not biblical. That's not biblical sanctification. Biblical sanctification is a progression towards holiness uh, with less sin. And so, w- the hope for people are: if you're really saved, you're going to change. Uh, especially when you put all the pieces together, Christ in my life, full of the Holy Spirit, in a Bible teaching church, in biblical community. Man, you put yourself in those situations, and you're real and transparent. You're, it, things are going to change if you're a Christian. I have not found a situation that I can put my thumb on where somebody was genuinely saved, where they participated in biblical community at a Bible teaching church, where they were humble and prepared to follow their leaders who didn't. 
I, I can't actually think of one. Which segues into point number three well, employing extreme measures to deal with lust. Mm. And so first question for oh, this. Oh, by the way, and if you have someone in your group that's struggling sexually, uh, I encourage you take it as far as you can as far as your own personal counsel with them as life group leaders. Uh, especially if it's especially if it's not like especially if you're dealing with oh you know I I've watched some things I shouldn't I've done I've said some things I shouldn't uh, deal with those work with them help help your men be accountable when it when it does become external because we're not sitting here saying that in a very real way external physical adultery is not uh, uh, what is the word uh, is not what is the word I'm looking for. I'm not objectively, but uh, it, it is worse in the sense that it is now a sin that you have caused inside the body. If you joined yourself with another person, if it gets to that place, you need to have a meet with us immediately. Like there should be no question. You need to go meet with pastor. We need to get this set up immediately. But anything less than that, I think you are well equipped to deal with. Uh, but anything after, when it does become a physical adultery situation, bring them to us immediately. Okay. There you go. Qu- uh, qu- uh, qualitatively. That's the big word I was thinking about. Oh. Qualitatively different. It, it is qualitatively different when external adultery occurs versus internal uh, internal adultery. Go ahead. All right. Which means we need to employ extreme measures to deal with lust. All right. Why are extreme measures effective when dealing with sexual sin? Because it's a, sin is a severe and extreme thing, and it creates it requires extreme uh, practices and extreme measures to deal with. Not only that, the sexual drive of the human, even biologically and psychologically, um, is strong. I mean, think about this is a thing to think about. And if you're a young man, even, listen to even listen to this. Like, you know, I know so many people just say, "I just pray that God would take my desires, my sexual desires, away from me." It's like, listen, if God were to take the sexual desires away from people, people wouldn't procreate. Which is important biblically in Genesis. I guess you wouldn't be listening to this if you're just young, because you, your life group leader is sitting here. But if someone in your life, if group. someone in your life group, you say, "Listen, you were designed to have sexual desires. God isn't going to take away sexual desires that are actually part of the human experience, even apart from the fall." The prayer is that God would provide you a channel, which is marriage, right, to exercise sexual desires. Biblically. So I don't believe that God's going to take away any sexual desires, the, the sexual desire itself, right? That desire for sexual relationship, uh, because that's literally creation commandment number one go and be fruitful and multiply. Well, what, in what way does God make sure that's going to happen? By giving us an appetite for sexual, for, for sex. Let me just put it that way. All right. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, there you go. All right. Well, you mentioned this in the 9 a.m. sermon, at least, talking mm-hmm. about the community. So how do women come alongside women, and how do men come alongside men you know, to help the church fight against sexual sin? Well, what we're all going to have to do is uh, start with humility, both in confronting and confessing. Uh, what we're also going to have to do is get over this like weird niceness disease that we have about saying, well, I could never talk to anybody about anything because it could, could potentially, it could change our relationship. Well, yeah, it's going to change your relationship because what kind of relationship do you have with somebody that you want to keep that you're not willing to be honest with? That's not a relationship I want to have. I want to have relationships with people that I care about, who care about me. 
You know, we, you and I have these conversations all the time. Like how many conversations you and I have that we're like, man, I would hate to have this conversation with the average person because we have a relationship that's deep enough that we can be honest with each other. And we have so many honest conversations with each other. More of our conversations are honest than, than just like, Hey, how you doing conversations? And, and we actually, because of that, are able to partner together to do much fruitful ministry because we get past all of these uh, pleasantries. pleasantries and just say, no, man, what is, what is this about? What is our faith about? What are we doing here? How are we helping each other? How are we equipping the saints to do the work of ministry? How are we fighting sin? How are we killing these things? And you're actually going to find that you have actually really good relationships that you may have never experienced because you've never got past this fear of just having genuine relationships with people. All right. Then finally, what are some uh, what are a couple of practical tools or um, measures you found effective in the fight against sexual sin? You know, it, it depends. I mean, I mean, men and women a little bit are going to be different in this, but I really think if you think about this, most men, particularly when it comes to screen time, just I mean, you don't need God. Never said you need a screen in front of your face ever. And you're like, well, you know, I got to work. Well, go to work. You don't need a computer at home. Why do you need a computer at home? Why do you have a TV? Do you need a TV? Do you have to? I mean, this is the, the Hebrews passage of like, you haven't struggled with your sin as far as shedding your blood like Christ had, like Christ did. Like you don't, this, you have to think about it this way. You don't need a lot of things that you say you need. Uh, get rid of things that you don't need. Have men who will speak into your life. Uh, gal is the same. It's the same, really, with you as well. We're all sitting here saying we don't. We don't have to have these things in our life that are not necessary for our faith if they are going to cause us to sin and to stumble. And so, what we want to do is encourage one another. And, and women, in a real way, you know, we have to, especially uh, you know, life group gals, younger women that you're around. It's like help them, and even you, but help them to, you know, protect their hearts and protect the hearts of their brothers. Like, that's not why we do this primarily. That's secondary. Primarily is I want to honor God with my body and with my thoughts and with my mind. In order to honor God, this is the whole Sermon on the Mount's about, in order to honor God, which is the primary, I'm also having to honor people. And so, although the primary is we got, we're honoring God, we're protecting our hearts for the sake of our Lord, but it's also impacting the way that we act with other people. And so we got to think not only in uh, in the context of ourselves, but also the context of others. And I think one final thing in terms of some practical tool, you mentioned this in the 9 a.m., which the you know, for men, life group leaders, a, a helpful tool is called Covenant Eyes. If yeah. you have questions about it, reach out to Pastor Hayden and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with that, if your men um, in your life group are married, uh, one of the philosophies that, that I hold to is, you know, Candace has every right to get the updates that you know it sends out. Oh, it takes random screenshots. So I asked her that, but she has said, I, I don't need it because you know, she knows that Pastor Hayden has mm-hmm. it. Um, my father gets them. Other men in my life that I trust gets the random updates that say, hey, this is what he's been looking at. No, no, no flags. Mm-hmm. But here's some random shot, screenshots that we took. And so if you have questions on it, let me know. And really, it's just taking extreme measures. One of the things that really helped combat the sin for me was... Uh, one of my old mentors that when he was able to conquer it was he took extreme measures. He figured out what mm-hmm. hurt is if I ever do this again, uh, this sexual, personal sexual sin of looking something up and um, you know pleasing himself, you know, this is mature content. He's like, I will have to, you know, 
write a check to my mentor for $700 and then tell my wife. $700 and tell your wife. And tell your wife. You said, that's, that's extreme, extreme measure. measure. And guess what? He helped conquer it. And, the way, and then when well, I heard that, right. I took it upon myself to say, well, I can't really afford $700, but I can do at least 300. Mm-hmm. And I would say, I, I, and I told him, hey, if I do this, I want to Venmo you 300 bucks and tell my wife. And I told Candace this too. And it comforted her mm-hmm. saying like, okay, he's willing to kill this. Mm-hmm. And, make it hurt. Right. And, and, it, and it brings back to the, the Hebrews text. It's like, you still did not go as far as to shed, shed your blood. blood. So it, and that just goes to show you, it's like, man, when you say, I'm not willing to do that, well, you're just not willing to do what it takes to kill your sin. And that's the problem of our heart. And, you know, that's why we say the problem of our heart, well, that's, that can't be the problem with the Christian heart. And that's why we always push people to say, like, well, you just have, you have a bad heart. And it's like, well, no, 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 you have a new heart. Your flesh may be battling against your new heart. But your heart is going to win out because the power of the Holy Spirit is going to win out in your heart. Mm-hmm. And even though you battle these things in your flesh, the the flesh should never uh, ne- never have ultimate victory in your life for a long period of time because the heart is going to win through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All, All right. right, Pastor Hayden, there's several uh, resources um, that we have to help you know, combat this, or to combat sexual sin, and also give a clarification on it. So um, do you want me to list them off? Yeah, well, the one I've read is Finally Free by Heath Lambert. That's a good one. It's a good that's a good book for sexuality for men, uh, for sure. And and also for, you know, life lady life group leaders, this is also a helpful one to to have even to read yourself. To have mm-hmm. like, how do I help, you know, my my brothers in this in some regard. Mm-hmm. Another one that I've read recently that I even like better than Finally Free and I mm-hmm. love Finally Free is More Than a Battle by Joe Rig- uh, Rigney. More Than a Battle by Joe Rigney, really good book that I really enjoyed. And then a book that I recommend to both uh, men and women is intended for pleasure by uh, Ed and I think it's Gay Gay Wheat. Yeah, um, this is a great book talking about what is sex intended for and even you know medically, and it's written by two uh, two Christians and one's a one's a doctor in this. So great book intended for pleasure uh, is a fantastic read to with, with that. So all right, Pastor announcements. Andy, we got announcements. What all we right. got? Women's breakfast this weekend, the June twenty fourth at nine a.m. Men's Fellowship Saturday, July 8th at Hollywoods from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. We'll send you guys some updates on that. We invite you to encourage you to invite all of the men and women to be a part of these two separate events. Uh, summer camp registration is still up for art and science, so go online to find out more there. And our student revival, Dean Now, for July 27th and July 30th. The registration is still open for that. Make sure you are inviting all the families of teens to sign up for that. And then finally, baptism service on August 27th. Registrations are open for that because our baptism service for July is full. Here we and go. So Which August twenty seventh has some openings still. It has some openings and it will get full. So it do not will. delay. Yeah, don't delay. Sign up today. You said that once like a lot, and now it's in my brain. You're welcome. All right, life group leaders, we love you. We'll see you soon. <laughs>